Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. Even though you're listening to this on podcast and not on the air, you can still call our toll-free number, 877-929-9673, and you can still send us email to words at waywardradio.org, and you can still find us online at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. When I was very young, I happened across a copy of Reader's Digest, and I saw something absolutely mystifying. On two facing pages, there were all these little line drawings, and under all those were these seemingly unrelated capital letters separated by spaces. The first row of letters read F-U-N-E-X. Funex, mm-hmm. Funex, mm-hmm. what in the world? And right above those letters was a line drawing of a little old man sitting in a restaurant talking to the waiter. But what was the connection? I puzzled over this for a long time, and then I finally realized that if you sound out those letters individually, and if you sound like a little old man, then F-U-N-E-X is F-U-N-E-X. <laughs> the guy wanted breakfast. Have you any eggs? Have you any eggs? And oh, it goes on and good. on like that. The guy finally orders M N X. M and eggs. M and eggs. Very good. Yeah, he wasn't keeping kosher. And Grant, it was one of the first inklings I ever had that you can really play with language. I had something like that. There was an algebra teacher who had a board in the front of the room that was one of those cloth boards with like the ridges on it, like big corduroy. Yeah, yeah. And you take these white plastic letters and she would spell out, say, the assignments for the week or the schedule of the things that we were going to do or just some happy message for the day or for the season. And she was sometimes late coming to class, and so we would occupy ourselves for a few minutes. And I took it upon myself to rearrange those letters. Now, I didn't know what an anagram was. I mean, I'm like 12 or 13, right? Uh-huh. I had no idea what an anagram was. And, I, and so I had like these three minutes where I, as fast as possible, had to rearrange these letters to, to spell something else. And I would try to do it differently every day. And, of course, she would come in and, and, and uh, rearrange it back and never really knew that I was responsible. But that was, that was the first time I knew what anagramming was. I had no idea until then. And so... I was a paper boy. Did you know that? At no, the time? I didn't know that. Yeah, and there were puzzles in the Mexico ledger. This is Mexico, Missouri, every week. And I would solve those in the, the 15 minutes that it took me to fold all my newspapers and shove them in my canvas bag before <laughs> I, I rode off on my bicycle to throw them on the lawns and porches. And those puzzles were a similar kind of experience. Like, wait, somebody is out there making puzzles for me to solve? You know, it was the cryptograms and the word searches. and yeah, the... jumble. Did you do jumble? Yeah, I sure, absolutely. One. But the thing was, like, it was a constrained environment. I only had enough time to solve it until I could fold the newspapers because I didn't have a paper to keep for myself. So right. if I didn't solve it, right. I was done. Right. <laughs> We're going to know what the answer was, right? <laughs> so it was uh, both of those environments, it's about, like, rushing on deadline to solve puzzles and that was the start of it for me just the idea that like you're challenging yourself against another person or against some kind of time constraint and and winning sometimes losing sometimes but enjoying it the whole time well hey was there a word puzzle that sparked your interest in language let us know call us at 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org hello you have a way with words hi this is anita i'm calling from indianapolis oh welcome to the program What can we do for you? I um, had an interesting experience last week with a coworker from um, the United Kingdom, and he sent an email with an interesting phrase that I had never heard before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when I Googled it, (laughs) there was absolutely no answer on Google. So I immediately thought I should call away with words. (laughs) Immediately. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Immediately. 
What was it? Well, um, we had been working on something together, and I got some new information. But when I sent it to him, he replied to myself and several other people and, and said, please hang fire on this. Um, it's a moving target. Uh-huh. And so I assumed, basically from reading the rest of his email, that we needed to stop working on the previous information. Mm-hmm. But I had never heard hang fire on this uh-huh. as, a, as a phrase. And when we first discussed it, we weren't sure if it meant to hurry up or if it meant to not work on it because I was thinking of, you know, light a fire under it uh-huh. Mm-hmm. would be to move faster. Okay, so nobody in or your office. Or if it was like, to heck with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's definitely not an American term. Americans might know it, but the the... British use it far more often than we do. Hang fire. Do you know anything about guns? You know, my grandfather used to to build guns. Aha. Uh-huh. Really? Did he have what any kind? the old style muskets with the the pans that you put the gunpowder in? He did. He built muzzle loaders, like Revolutionary War era muzzle loaders. Now, You're kidding. Did you ever see one of these guns not go off when he thought it was going to go off? No, I never experienced that. Because that's what hang fire comes from. There's a certain kind of priming. It's like a cotton I don't know, fiber or a twist maybe even with the, that's a, got powder embedded in it. And you light it, and then it sets off the big charge that fires the gun and shoots, pushes the bullet and so forth. But sometimes that priming mm-hmm. doesn't actually do its job. It just sits there and fuzzles and sputters and sparkles for a little bit and doesn't actually set off the gun. So you've got this weapon, maybe it's a cannon, maybe it's a musket, that's not going off and you're just waiting for it to go off. And the fire is literally hanging there. You're you're hanging there waiting for the weapon to go (laughs) off. You are hanging fire. That's what it comes from. And so by extension, if if something... um, um, is not likely to happen or isn't going to come to fruition or if for some reason is delayed or needs to be delayed, You are, it is or you are hanging fire. Okay. So oh, tell me more about your grandpa, yeah. though, a, a, a gunsmith. That was his hobby. He would build um, Revolutionary War era guns and Kentucky long rifles. Oh, yes. He did a lot of reenactments. Mm-hmm. He would do Revolutionary War reenactments and Civil War reenactments. Oh, how interesting. Anita, you've heard the expression flash in the pan. I I haven't. No? Well, no, if something's a flash in the pan, it's like a temporary success or a temporary hit or Yeah, here to get oh, day gone okay. tomorrow. Like a But like that's a, also yeah. that's a, Martha brings that up because that's also from from these same kinds of weapons. The the pan, the literal place where you put the gunpowder to 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 set off the weapon. Yeah, sometimes it would it would just flash but the, it wouldn't shoot the bullet. Right. So we use the expression okay. flash in the pan. So maybe I should have asked my uncle what hang fire on this meant. Oh, yeah. was your, it was your uncle? It wasn't your grandpa? <laughs> no, but it's his son. So he oh, spent a lot more time with the making of the guns. I just would occasionally shoot them. Ah. Oh, really? So hang fire, there you go, Anita. It just means to, to for something to be delayed. Yeah, um, kind of all grind to a halt. Yeah. And so it's just kind of stuck there. Yep, yeah. it's stuck. Yes. Well, I like, that. I like that expression. My team is going to be so excited. We actually wrote it on our board where we meet every day mm-hmm. oh, really? as, a, as a thing to learn about. Okay, Excellent. well, there that's, you go. Well, that's great, Anita. I'm glad to help. Give us a call another time when you've got something else. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, if you have a question for us, fire away. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi, who's this? This is Bonnie from San Diego. Hi, Bonnie. Welcome to the program. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you. Hi. Thank you very much. Okay, here's what I'm confused about. Okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. I have a flyer in front of me that says, Space is limited. Sign up at the front desk required. Call up to 24 hours in advance. So I called before 24 hours in advance. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. That means you have to call after 24 hours in advance. Well, so my question is up to means, to me, means before that time. And to her, and then after that time. Mm, yeah, that's, so, yeah, that's strange. Isn't that strange? And then I'm looking at another one that says the gallery is open to the public from 5 p.m., so it seems to me that it would, should be from 24 hours in advance. What do you think? 
or within 24 hours of whatever the thing is. Was her original language English? Yes. It's, okay. well, it's on a flyer. It's on a, it's on a flyer from the gym. Boy. <laughs> I wonder if they got a lot of people calling like you did, because that I don't think that's ever really the right use, do you? Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't imagine. And the reason I asked about that is because prepositions tend to bedevil people who speak English as a second language. But did this person hold her ground? Did they say, no, we're not going to accept reservations before? That's right. She did. I had to call back. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I would because I I would have been confused too. To me, if you say call up to twenty four hours in advance, it means you can call forty eight hours in advance or seventy two hours in right. advance, but you can't right. call after twenty four hours. In right. and they meant exactly the opposite. That's so weird. I mean, I get a visual up to twenty four I mean, hours. You I, can see it. I appreciate what I appreciate. The only way I could get my mind around that is. Up to 24 hours means a maximum of 24 hours in advance. And if she'd have said that, that might have been, that might have worked. Oh, so maybe she was thinking about it from her deadline out. Yes, yes. She was thinking like, well, I could do 12 hours in advance or do more, which is up to 24 hours in advance. Yeah, that's, yeah. But if she she might have just said a maximum of 24 hours in advance or no more than 24 hours in advance. Mm. Yeah. That's a good lesson for writers in considering your audience. Think about how they're looking at it rather than how you're looking at it. Right. Or no more than 24 hours in advance. Very good. That would work as that well. That would work too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, right. then I will, uh, you know, one hates to be picky about many things, but I think I'll be pick. I think I will point this out to them. You, <laughs> you, you might um, do it with flowers. <laughs> 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 or a contribution or something. Yeah, or a contribution or something. <laughs> but really, Bonnie, I think this is a perfect example of where somebody's not being peevish or picky about English. This is vital. It's a true misunderstanding. It's a true misunderstanding yeah. that has consequences. So I think well, they, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I'd be curious to know how many other people, as Grant said, were calling at the wrong time. Bonnie, thank you for calling and sharing the misunderstanding. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Sometimes you just don't understand, and you've got to help the other person not to make that mistake again, right? Exactly, yes. You kind of have a responsibility to to gently and politely nudge them in the right direction. Right, and and it can be done politely. Yeah, that's what I was indicating with the flowers. It's not to to call and rant to a... Bonnie doesn't sound like the kind of woman who would do that, but... No, but I think they should be giving her flowers for calling it to their attention. Or free membership, or like free classes, or a latte. Free water wings. (laughs) (laughs) What's the biggest misunderstanding of language that you've heard lately? Give us a call and tell us about it, 1-877-929-9673, or send your befuddlement to words at waywardradio.org. I saw a new acronym the other day I thought was funny. Yeah? Did you know that the POTUS carries a BOTUS? The POTUS carries a BOTUS? Okay, the POTUS is the president of the United States. That's right. Um, does he have a new baby? No, no. <laughs> baby of the United States? No, the BOTUS of the president of the United States is his BlackBerry. President Obama is so obsessed with his BlackBerry that his staff have coined this jokey acronym, calling it the BOTUS. Oh, it, nice. It might as well be handcuffed to his wrist. <laughs> I like that. Good, right? POTUS, yeah. <laughs> the POTUS of nice. the POTUS. I wonder what the FLOTUS thinks about that. <laughs> the first lady. <laughs> What's your new language? What's something you heard that you want to share? one 929 or send in an email to words at waywardradio.org. How's your puzzle mojo? Stay tuned for linguistic hijinks right here on Away With Words. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined once again by our quiz guy, Greg Puska. Hello, Greg. Hello, Grant. Welcome to the program, Greg. Hi, Martha. (laughs) What's up? What do you have for us this week? Johnny. Well, this week uh, we're doing a quiz that I call Name Dropping. Mm. But it's not the kind that you think. In this quiz, the answer for each set of clues will be a word that has a common first name hidden somewhere in it. Ooh. 
And when that name is removed, the remaining letters spell a new word. Ooh. Oh, okay. So, for example, uh, I might give you a set of clues like uh, the first clue might be a large number of dollars. And then I would say the second word is a charged particle. Okay, so. And you're, so, you want to guess at this one? Billion. Billion, exactly. Oh. There's a large number of dollars, dollars is a billion. And the charged particle is the ion, mm -hmm. and the leftover letters is the common name Bill. Mm. Ooh, name dropping. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So okay. you'll get a you'll get a two part clue from me, and you're looking basically for a three part answer: the first word, the second word, and the name that gets dropped from one to make the other. Okay, let's try it. So here's your first one. Uh, the big word is a tie dyed handkerchief. The smaller word is a group of musicians. Okay, how about bandana and band? Is that right? Yep. And so, okay. so Anna is the name. Yeah, exactly. Bandana. Oh, very good. Bandana, yeah. band, and Anna. You got it. Exactly. I was starting with trio, but that didn't go anywhere. You, I mean, you probably <laughs> certainly not in that clue. It doesn't. Uh, here's another one: a certain visitor from space. And a shop or store. Okay. So. A certain visitor from space. So in crossword ease, that means you're probably going to name him, right? Well, it's probably my favorite, right? Mm. My favorite is, Martian. Exactly. A show that was made before some of us were born, I right. think. Right. Probably both of you. <laughs> um, but uh, and, um, so the word for the shop, the place where you shop, is a mart. So the name is Ian or Ian. Very oh, good. good. Very good. You know, Martha didn't quite understand the directions, but as soon as we started no, the puzzle, I... <laughs> she's just like reeling these off. Like I'm haptic. I learn She learns by example. Yeah. Um, all right. Here's another one. One of the seven deadly sins and the grain that provides more than one-fifth of all calories consumed by humans. Okay. The name is Ava. And Ooh. sin is avarice, and then the grain is rice, rice. right? Very good. Whoa. Oh, my avarice, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice, Martha. You're Thank kicking you. ass. Thank You're you. flying through and taking names. How about adjective for a seasonal laborer and a musical note? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. Me, me and, and migrant, you. and Grant. Yeah. And Grant. <laughs> okay, I can't wait to see what he does with Martha. Yeah, you know, I tried to find one that worked for Martha. There just isn't one. There are no words that contain Martha in them. Martha cannot be contained. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, how about... gas. <laughs> yes? How, how about L. Ron Hubbard's religion uh -huh. and facial spasms? Not to say that one one causes the other or anything. Scientology and mm. tick. There's another word for L. Ron Hubbard's. Oh, um, there is philosophy. His um, oh cybernetic. Cyber. <laughs> Wait a minute. Cybernetics. It's not cybernetics. Dianetics. 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 Oh, there we go. So Diane and Ticks Dianetics. Diane and Ticks. There hasn't been anybody named Cyburn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right. How about an atomic particle and to vote into office? Hmm. Election. Tron. Electron. Elect. Elect ion. <laughs> Electron, no. yeah, an elect, and then Tron. Oh, Ron. Ron. Oh, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> Tron. Right. Tron, right? A yeah, Tron is a name. Yeah. <laughs> Electron. Actually, this, so it breaks into elect and Ron, elect Ron, which was a slogan during a pr certain uh, presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, maybe it wasn't, but it could have been. <laughs> um, but it should have been. Got time for uh, yeah, a couple more? Yeah, just one more. Let's try One it. more. Wow. All right. How about a musician playing alone? And a drunk. Not Han Solo. Um, okay, so Solo, right? Soloist? Mm. Yeah. Soloist. So what are the clues again? A musician playing alone, mm -hmm. soloist. And take a name out of that to get a word for a drunk. Oh, Lois out of the middle leaves Sot. 
Yes. Very good. Okay. Yeah, I had to have one where where the name was stuck in the middle there. Well, thanks for the quiz, Greg. It's my pleasure. If you'd like to talk about grammar, slang, punctuation, or words and how we use them, now's the time and this is the place. one 929 9673 That is 1-877-WAY-WORD. Spell it out on your phone or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Uh, hello, this is Holly Hermanson calling in. Hello, Holly. Where are you calling from? Charlottesville, Virginia. Oh, yay. Charlottesville. Oh, hi. Welcome to the program. What can we do you for, Holly? Here is my question. Uh, I am in my mid-40s now, but as a child growing up, whenever my older sister or I experienced an an illness, say the flu or strep throat or or were just sick for some reason, as we were coming out of the illness, our mother would give us a a special uh, dish uh, of food to rehabilitate and uh, now as an adult, I recognize that that dish is, is milk toast. But growing up, we were always told that it was time for our graveyard stew. Oh, my. And, um, and a, a big fuss was not made about the name. I did not know there was anything unusual about graveyard stew. I assumed everybody got that as they were coming out of an illness and as an adult, I realize I've never, ever heard anybody else use that term. And I'm just curious whether it was something maybe my family made up a few generations ago, the name, or whether indeed it's, it's the name of a, a way of preparing milk toast. Well, now, Holly, tell us how the toast was prepared. Well, <clears throat> let's see. You start off with a piece of toast. And you pour some hot milk or, or warmed milk over it. Mm-hmm. For some flavor, there was usually butter, salt, and pepper. Mm-hmm. And that was given to us uh, to kind of nurse us back to being able to take some, some fluid or make sure that we could keep it down and get us some nourishment. And then the next step was to place a uh, poached egg on the center of the toast, mm-hmm. in, in the hot milk with the butter. Mm-hmm. And I still, to this day, remember how wonderful it always tasted, that, that first bite of semi-solid, warm, buttery, salty food. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's it. I, Have y- you ever heard, heard of it? I, you know, there's, I, I've got three or four different recipes I can find right here, and, and all of them are pretty close to yours. Not everyone adds the egg, though, at the end. I'll be done. And some people use saltine crackers instead of toast. But yeah, the graveyard stew is a thing, as they say. You'll find it even in a few specialty dictionaries. And in literature, going back to the late 1800s, people talk about graveyard stew in exactly the way that you used it and learned it, which is it's something that you, that you eat when you're sick, um, probably because it's easy to take down. The soft toast and, and a poached egg are pretty easy to swallow, right? Right. So I think the idea was that um, it's something that served to people whose next stop is the graveyard. <laughs> exactly. I had never thought of that as I was pondering why it might be named that. The only thing my, my little kid's brain could come up with is that the, the round egg on the square toast looks a little bit like a tombstone. Oh, that's not and, a bad idea. That's what my brain imaged. It never occurred to me that it might be drawing us back from the very edge of the grave. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. You know, it's sort of a little morbid humor. I mean, it's interesting that you said that your mother gave it to you when you were on the mend. So it's sort of this ironic use of it, right? Yeah. A few sources yeah. recommended as a hangover remedy. Ah, <laughs> not a bad idea. I have a bottle of champagne in my refrigerator. I could test it tomorrow morning. Do, do let us know how that works yeah, out. <laughs> Thank you both so much for your time. I feel delighted to to finally solve the mystery for myself. Thank you both. Bye, Martha. Okay. Bye, Grant. Bye, bye. Thank you. Bring us your linguistic heirlooms, the things you're wondering about. The number's 1-877-929-9673, or you can email us about it. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. Hi. Hi, who's this? This is Don Jackson. Don, where are you calling from? I'm from uh, Bozeman, Montana, but I'm in the shadow of the 
Anaconda Smelter Smokestack right now. The the shadow of the Anaconda Smelter Smokestack. That sounds amazing. What are you looking at? That sounds like a big shadow. <laughs> oh, we're setting up a... Uh, well, it used to be one of the biggest smokestacks in the world. But we're setting up some vegetation plots to um, see how some plants will grow in uh, the heavy metals that are contaminating the uh, area around the smelter. That is hardcore work. Wow. So, so it's more than just planting greenery. It's trying to recover the land, right? It is. It's land rehabilitation, and uh, we call it reclamation research. Very interesting stuff. So what's your question today, Don? Well, when I first heard that Justice Stevens was retiring, I thought, oh, no, here we go again. The press and Congress is going to start using that ridiculous phrase that really bugs me. Uh-oh. And what would that an be? Up, an up or down vote. I just think it's totally ridiculous. Votes are never up or down. Unless maybe you're mountain climbing or you're on a ladder and you need to decide which way to go. It seems like it's a pretty recent uh, uh, phrase. Maybe I haven't been paying attention, but I've been around for over five decades. And Mm -hmm. um, it seems like maybe just in the last seven or eight years we started hearing this term. And I'm wondering where it came from and if there's any chance of getting it out of the language. (laughs) Those are all reasonable questions, and I think you've got a pretty good shot at leaving this call happy. I think that's oh, good. true. I think that's true. So it really bugs you, this up and down vote business. Yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Are, they, are they saying, are we going to send this person up to heaven or down to hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, the funny I thing... I mean, I know the Supreme, Supreme Court vote is to the, the higher court or the highest court in the land, but uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're talking about other votes oftentimes, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, the thing about it is that a lot of times when a legislative body is voting on, say, a bill, they're not voting on the bill itself or the issue itself. They're they're voting on what to do about it, you know, what to, whether they should table the motion or send it back to committee or amend it or change the wording, something like that. But an up or down vote is just a yay or nay vote, a yes or no vote on that very issue. None of the procedural stuff to either side of it. Up or down and up and down have been uh, been synonyms for direct and sort of unceremonious for at least a century. Right. So you stand up, cast your vote, and sit down. Is that what it is? Well, I don't know that you necessarily... <laughs> I'm picturing sort of like Congress looking like whack-a-mole, you know? <laughs> stand up, sit down. <laughs> but this is, an in, this is jargon. This is part of their business. This yeah. is why they've got that term. And then the journalists pick it up, and then it sounds freaky to us because we're outsiders. Right, right. We, we think vote yes or no. Right, right. But um, you can right. vote yes or no on various aspects of an issue, of a bill, about what to do about it or whether we should all break for lunch or something. But the yes or no, that the up or down is like a yes or no on, on the right. very bill itself or the very issue itself or the very person who's uh, been nominated. Right, because their voting rules are so strange that they might have a vote on whether or not to vote on a vote. <laughs> right? Well, it depends on what the meaning of vote is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don, does that make sense? That maybe it does have yeah. a more specific meaning but, inside their jargony world. Yeah, I understand it's usually a, a for or against vote, but it just it just seems like a total misnomer to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I know. When they were talking about the health care bill, they kept talking about an up or down vote on that, right? Right. Yeah. Thank you for calling <laughs> and uh, sharing a little bit of your world with us. Oh, you bet. Thank you so much for taking my call. Okay, right. bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye, Don. Bye-bye. Well, you know, we're open to peeving. If you've got something to peeve about, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Is language going to hell in a handbasket? Oh, leave it to peever. <laughs> Let us know. Email us, words at waywardradio.org. Martha, you know about the trend of young people shortening words? Sure. So, so that totally becomes totes? Totes, yep. yep. Well, what happens when they short it, it becomes so entrenched that sometimes they make it longer. Oh, really? I heard this the other day. <laughs> so you say, that's a really great shirt, and I say, totes, right? Right. And it's... then if you agree with me, you're going to respond and say, totes my goats. Totes my goats. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I love it. So that it. means very much totally, very totally, completely totally. <laughs> Can you say that? Totes my goats. Yeah. I love it. Oh. I love it. It's not really native, though, to us, is it? It's about 20 years younger. Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't know how to spell it either. 
New slang, new words. You've got something to share? one 929 or send in an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Jamie, and I'm calling from Carlsbad, California. Well, hello, Jamie. Welcome to the program. Hi, Jamie. Hi. How are you doing? Super duper. What can we do for you? Um, I, um, My husband and I were having um, a lively uh, political debate a couple nights ago, and um, we were talking, and I said, that is a bald-faced lie. <laughs> and he said, I think you mean bold-faced lie. So needless to say, the political conversation stopped, and uh, we kind of got into a little discussion about whether it was bald-faced lie or bold-faced lie. So, ah, nice move by your husband there. <laughs> Sounds vigorous, though. What kind of fighting was this? Was it physical? Well, you know, you were you calling a, each other liars? Um, not us, but maybe a certain politician. So, yeah. Okay. So you're arguing for bald-faced? Yes, B-A-L-D, like bald head. And mm-hmm. he was arguing for bold, like as in bold type or bold action. So, Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and then I was thinking, well, maybe I was just saying bold that was like a southern draw or something. So I'm not sure. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, when I hear bold-faced lie, I always think of typeface, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, like maybe a bold-faced lie is pretty bad, but then a, a bold-faced, italicized, underlined, <laughs> exactly. Times New Roman lie with 72-point fonts. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's what my husband was thinking. But I, I was pretty sure... Sure, it was bald face, but uh-huh. who knows? Uh-huh. And and that is the more common version of it. Although you do hear bald faced a whole lot. There are some sticklers who will say it is bald faced um, instead of bald faced. But you know what? The fact is that they both go back to an earlier version that's neither one of those. Uh huh. Which is bare faced. Huh. Yeah, which uh, hundreds of years ago meant sort of um, open and unconcealed and, and shameless, that kind of thing. Interesting. And then especially in this country, it ended up being bald-faced, but a lot of people say bald-faced. Yeah, because it's that bald meaning, which means undisguised or uncovered, right? Mm-hmm. So it, you haven't even made any effort whatsoever to hide your lie. Mm-hmm. You're going to tell the lie without even trying. Right. Okay. So which one of us was right? <laughs> <laughs> You are slightly more correct in a very formal sense, but your husband is also correct because he joins the masses in using boldface. Okay. Actually, so we're both right. I like that. <laughs> yeah, you're more right than he is. But, but you can both jointly condemn the politician you're talking okay. about. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're you both agreed on about that? <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Oh, sure. Our pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Thanks, Bye. Bye-bye. I got to tell you, the phone lines are open. Call us with your questions about anything related to language, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send in an email to words at waywardradio.org. No nerd is an island, so join the language community as Away with Words continues. Support for Away with Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Martha, I saw that you linked to something on our Facebook page the other day. You did? Yeah, it was that, that story by Randall Strauss in the New York Times about Twitter. And he's talking about Twitter, this short messaging service, in terms of history and how things are being recorded there that we'll want to know later, right? Oh, right, right. Data mining. Right, right. data mining. Well, the Library of Congress will keep a big file of it. I'm sure that archive.org will keep a file of it. Other people will keep it and mine it and do stuff with it. And what's interesting to me is I think it's nice to see somebody in a big place like the New York Times get it. Because as far as you and I are concerned... Twitter is an incredibly useful tool. It's not just about communicating with friends, right? It's not just about tuna sandwiches for lunch. No, no, no. I mean, obviously, it depends on who you're following. But if you're following your friends, you're getting personal messages. Right. If you're following famous people, you get a little bit of marketing stuff. But also, they'll tell you some of their inside life. But the thing is, there's information stored in these apparently meaningless messages, right? In bulk, Twitter is incredibly useful. It's a place where you can observe 
the brightest minds of our day having conversations with each other, right? Yeah, 140 character conversations, right? You know, and often they're linking to their own blog or to news stories that they've written or places mm-hmm. that they've appeared in radio and television where they all explain their 140 character ideas at length, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just turn it around. Imagine that Isaac Newton was alive today, uh-huh. right? And uh-huh. you could observe him working out the principles of physics in real time. That's kind of what we're seeing here. Oh, wow. Tweeting about all that. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's Imagine really that. cool. And, yeah. it, and it doesn't diminish the discoveries that he, he, he made, right? Right. You're watching him in real time, right. though. But, You're so, watching him figure it out, so make it's, mistakes. It's everybody. We're watching media change before our eyes. People like Jay Rosen at NYU, is co- he's constantly tweeting about new forms of media, right? And I think that but Randall Strauss in New York Times kind of got it in terms of linguistics as well. There's a fellow by, by the name of David Bamman at Tufts University who's created a new website called Lexicalist, L-E-X-I-C-A-L-I-S-T.com, lexicalist.com. And what he's done is use the information stored in Twitter, such as the location, like when you, you know, Martha's in San Diego, so everything she sends out is kind of located in San Diego, mm-hmm. to show that there are regional differences in things like the pronunciation or the spelling of the word bro, short for brother. In parts of the country, they're more likely to say bra. And he can show on a map that Twitter has this evidence. He can do linguistic research. Oh, wow. Based on the t- body of, of based on the bo- Twitter. Twitter, that kind of conversation is easy to pass off as irrelevant. But in the real data, there's evidence that people talk a different way in other parts of the country. They use different words, different pronunciations. They say different things about different subjects. And it's a great example of why I would never want this to go away. Oh, interesting. So instead of linguists walking around with tape recorders and microphones or, or well, digital still, recorders. There'll still always be room for yeah. that. Always a need for that. Yeah, but, they're, but they're, they actually have this whole other thing to analyze. Now, that's right. That's what you're saying. That's right. A new database that's kind of made on the fly by people who, who are unselfconsciously recording in text form their character, their dialect, their idiolect, even, hmm. their language. They're showing language change. And, and in 10 or 20 years, when we look at this over time, we'll find out even more about how language changes. That's very cool. Well, if you want to let us know what you're thinking, you can always communicate with us the old-fashioned way, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Keith from Pendleton, Indiana. Hi, Keith. Welcome to the program. Hello. I'm excited to be on. (laughs) Well, we're excited to talk to you. What's on your mind? Well, I live in an area that's kind of at the edge of the city, so it bumps up against a rural area. And I came across a a term recently that I had never heard, and the first people I thought to ask about it was you. Oh, yes, please, right away. Okay, um, the the term is jitney dinner or jitney supper, and it's spelled J I T N E Y. And I can't find anything that connects it to. This is a rural area, and w- there's a lot of people who verb nouns and things like that here. But mm-hmm. I couldn't find any history on this word. Uh-huh. Where did you find it? Where did you run across it? Um, my wife used it in a conversation. She just said. She said something, well, that sounds like a jitney supper. And I asked her what that is, and she said, well, I don't know. It just sounds like it is. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just minute. know what a word means, right? And well, can't explain and, it. and she did relate it back a little bit. She said that her family had used it pretty consistently, and it, and it regularly had to do with um, suppers at the church or mm-hmm. dinners at the mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether jitney has to do with a... Um, uh, uh, ecumenical or uh, or uh, church thing or what? Mm-hmm. And have you ever been to a church supper or a jitney supper or something like that? No, I've never been to one. Oh, I I don't know that the term floats around much today. Um, it seems like it was more used uh, um, in the last generation. And when I say that, I'm about fifty. So those people who are sixty, seventy, and eighty, they use it more than than my generation would. Okay. Oh, well, you're really missing out if you've never been to a church supper. I mean... Well, I've been to church suppers, <laughs> okay. not jitney ones. <laughs> <laughs> Where they serve jitney, right? <laughs> or whatever this is. I would like yeah. some chutney on my jitney, please. <laughs> a little chutney on the jitney, yes. Okay, well, I'm just saying that because you're evoking for me these fabulous memories of dinners on the grounds. You know, because all the church ladies, they want to do their best, right, to show off for mm-hmm. everybody else. So, 
You know, they bring oh. potato salad to uh, die I will, for. I will say that there's nothing like church pies. So um, we're, I'm, I'm with you on that part. <laughs> church pies. You mean that's a pie that you bring to a church supper? Uh-huh. Yes, all of those pies that the ladies bake. I mean, they're unreal. Right, right. And they're just laid it's out the there. It's the bounty as well. Just the yeah. bounty, like a couple dozen pies <laughs> sitting there. Cornucopia. Right. And everybody's trying to outdo each other mm-hmm. and, and salads and potatoes are gratin. And but the, where but I'm from, church, garlic grits. Uh, garlic grits. Garlic, che- garlic cheese grits. Do y'all have that? No way. Yes, way. Here. Lots of chicken and noodles. Chicken and oh right, beef and noodles. Yeah, too. Yes. But a church supper isn't automatically a jitney supper, right? No, not automatically. Although there's some overlap, okay. right? If we draw the Venn diagram, there's going to okay. be some. Oh, so some... break this down for me. Okay. Jitney is. Well, jitney originally was a five cent piece, a nickel. Aha. Uh-huh. Right. Right. And we don't know where that word comes from, jitney. But it got applied to a lot of different things. People referred to uh, buses that, that took a five-cent piece for, for Well, they oh. still have Jitney buses in New York. You take the Jitney from Manhattan to the Hamptons if you're going to spend the weekend out ah, there. Ah, is that right? Mm-hmm. They still call yeah. it that. Okay. And some of the, the company name is the Jitney bus line or whatever, the Jitney, you know, Jitney coach. Right, but it costs more than a nickel. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But the name <laughs> has been transferred, so now it means the bus rather than the fare. Right. And so a Jitney supper is a kind of fundraising dinner mm-hmm. where you pay a Jitney or a nickel for every scoop of whatever those great things are that you get or every slice of pie. Uh, only only it's not it's probably more than nickel these days. Mm-hmm. But but it's a way to uh, to raise money. So a nickel uh, so a nickel at a time for every yeah, scoop that you pie. get and then the church makes their money or whatever the organization is and that's in that way if you're a glutton you pay more. <laughs> All those pies we're talking about, right? So a whole yeah. pie, right. a whole pie would cost you a couple bucks at least. That's right. right. Oh. That's right. It's like a dime a dip dinner. That's another uh, version dime of a it. Dip. Yeah, Keith I this... love that. That makes so much sense. It really does Yay. because I knew it had to do with a, a monetary term, but but to apply it to a fundraiser at a church because churches are always needing to raise funds. Oh, sure. oh yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good idea, isn't it? Well, we may go back to it. Yeah, these days yeah. your jitney might need to be defined as five bucks, though, instead of five <laughs> yeah. cents. And I'm a pastor, so I'm I'm thinking now that I know what it is, I'm I'm going back to this term. Oh, well, very oh, good, go. Keith. That's just the trick. There you go. You're going to have that new education building built in no time. <laughs> no time at all with these jitney suppers. <laughs> well, save a pew for us, will you? We sure will. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. 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 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Who's this? My name is Mike Tadine. I'm calling from Seattle. All right. Well, what's going on? Well, it was a couple of weeks ago. I was listening to the show, and you got a caller from Juneau, Alaska. And I had grown up in Alaska, and um, I was curious about something that Grant had said. She had said that she, the caller, had used Alaskan vowels, and I wasn't quite sure what that meant, um, because when I was growing up in Alaska, most everybody came from somewhere else. Um, I was one of the few people who was actually born there other than natives, mm-hmm. um, and everybody just seemed to have their own accents and from somewhere else, and I uh, didn't really think there was a, a specifically Alaskan accent, hmm. and I was wondering... Is there one now? Um, and it's been, you know, a few decades since I've uh, lived there. And or do do people kind of get the same accents their parents have, or do they pick it up from the people that they're around? Um, All so good I, questions. Great questions. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Of course, when Sarah Palin popped onto the political scene, this was, was something that was widely discussed because she's got yeah. such a. I don't know, a distinctive sound to her. It's just a, a great linguistic exercise to listen to her speech and try to figure out where she's from and, and the characteristic of her yeah. language. Yeah, and she doesn't much sound like you. No, not at all. And she doesn't no. sound like the Alaskans I grew up with, of course, mm-hmm. in a different part of the state. Right. But you're, um, both, you're both sort of in the southeast, right? Uh, well, she grew up in Wasilla, which is north of Anchorage. Okay. And I grew oh, okay. up, in fact, uh, same age. I grew up in Sitka, which is southeast. Okay. Um and I mean, her accent sounds more like an upper Midwest to me mm-hmm. than an Alaskan. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, she's, well, the upper Midwest shares some features with Canadian English. There's called Canadian oh. raising. You might have heard us talk about this on another show where the vowels are modified a little bit. I won't go into the linguistic explanation, but they do some different things with their vowels that give it that distinctive 
uh, you almost want to parody it. I mean, actually, Sarah Palin is pretty easy to parody because right. her, her vowels are so distinctive. But Alaska shares a lot of language features with Canada, particularly Western Canada, even though a lot of people in Alaska are for somewhere else. I'll often find people who claim they swear up and down that Alaskans sound like Texans because so many Texans are in Alaska because oh, really? of yeah because of oil and, and the like. Um, but that's really you don't find it when you do the linguistic research. But in short, Alaska has a lot of different language pockets. Mm-hmm. Generally, people do things like modify their vowels to be a little more raised, as they call it. Um, they drop the G off of ing word. So that she right. does this, particularly when she's not in a very formal interview, when she's just giving a, a, a regular speech or having regular conversation. Sarah Palin does it. And um, a, a few other features. And to answer another one of your questions, yes, your parents influence how you speak, but your peer groups influence you even more. And mm-hmm. if you're from the outside, your speech is going to change to match the locals. Right. Well, I hope that's helped some, Michael. Do you oh, feel yeah. like you got an answer? Oh, yeah. It's very, very informative. Okay, super. Thank you Thanks. so much I for calling. I love your show. Oh. listen to it all the time. Thanks. Thanks. That's nice to hear. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for all calling. Right. Bye-bye. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Canadian Raising. We'll, we'll point those links out again. I'll put them on the website already. But it's just really interesting that you've been able to track the way those vowels change. And for a lot of people... In the United States, they only hear Canadian raising in the, the Great Lakes region or in the upper mid, upper western Midwest, mm-hmm. you know, around Fargo and the like. And, right. and so they think of it as belonging to that area, but it's actually the whole map of those sounds pushes up into Canada. Interesting. Or drops down, I should say, from Canada. From Canada, yeah. So. I, I remember reading, too, that there was... Um, that there were a whole lot of Minnesotans that went to Alaska with a work relief program oh, during very the Depression. I wonder if that has some influence there. Yeah, you would uh, think it would. Well, we need to write an NEH grant and get some we funds do. to study we this, do. or else we need to take a lot more calls from Alaska, <laughs> which we'd love to do. If you'd like to call us and talk about Alaskan English or English from anywhere else, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Harold Miller calling from Chicago. Hello, Harold. Hi, Harold. How are things Hi. in Chicago? Are you in O'Hare? You sound like you have some folks behind you there. No, no. You caught me. I'm outside, actually, but I've, I've got a little quiet corner, hopefully. Oh, okay. Great. Well, what's up? Well, my mom had a lot of interesting phrases when, she, when we were kids, and I've got three sisters, and we all grew up in a military family. And uh, my mom and dad are from the same part of the, the state of Arkansas, which is sort of southwest around Nashville, Arkansas. My mom had all these sort of funny phrases that she would say when we were kids, and we didn't think anything about it at the time. But when we all got older and we, we took these phrases out into our, you know, adult lives, people started looking at us and going, what was that again? <laughs> and we realized, you know, at that point that we, we actually were saying things that people had not heard before, and it wasn't common in everybody's family. So, um uh, among the several things my mom said that were that we thought were odd in retrospect, one of the one of the most funny was that she had this expression that she would say, "You tend to your own rat killing," which she would say if you know we were asking questions she didn't want to answer or if we were bothering somebody or whatever it might be. It was just sort of catch-all phrase for mind your own business or or behave or whatever. But you know later on we said, "Where how in the world did that get put together like that? What does that mean exactly?" Tend to your own rat killing. Tend to your own rat killing. You tend to your own rat killing. <laughs> How would she say that? Is this a, something she yells? Yeah, it would totally be something she'd yell. It would be like if you were in another room, uh, if she was in another room, and, and she heard me, you know, bothering my sisters when they were playing, she might yell out, hey, you you tend to your own rat killing in there. Or if, <laughs> if, if, we, if you know, we wanted to know something she didn't want to tell us and, and we badgered her enough, she'd go, you just tend to your own rat killing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did you ever, you never talked about that expression with her then? When we were kids, it was so common, we never even thought about mm-hmm. it. In fact, I, mm-hmm. I mean, to tell you the truth, now we use it, my, I use it, and all my sister use it in our family, uh-huh. and my kids use it now, because once I realized how novel it was, and it was funny, then we started, it was sort of like a mockery thing, but now, to be honest with you, we just use it, and sometimes we slip up and say it around other people, and we still get that, <laughs> what was that again now? Tend to your own rat killing. I, I love it. And you know what? You're, you're part of a larger body of people who've used that, that phrase at least since 1878. 78? Well, yeah. see, I, thought it maybe, I thought maybe it went back to the plague or something, but yeah, I'm all ears. <laughs> well, it could be, but in the forms that I've been able to find it, the most common form is to go on with your rat killing. 
And mm. and I find it in Harper's Magazine from the 1870s. And it's used almost the same way, but it's more about uh, we're talking, I say something, you say something, and then I say, well, go on with your rat killing, which means you finish what you're saying. Or you just oh, really? continue. Yeah. Oh. So it's more about go about your own business. So it's kind of related to the way your mother used it, I think. Um, oh, yeah, but, exactly. I could totally see how that would get, uh, that, that would transmute into something a little bit more critical. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's incredibly evocative, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But who are these people that are killing the rats? <laughs> yeah, know. well, that's what, I, that's what we want. It's like, how did this expression get started? And See, I have a theory about it. If you care to hear it, I'll, I'll, oh, I'll, I'll tell you please. what my theory is. Let's have it. Yeah, let's have it. Okay. I, after I thought about it, I, I thought, you know, there must have been a time when, one person would claim, complain to their neighbor about their rat problem, perhaps, mm. or maybe it was a common rat problem. And if you didn't keep up with your rat problem, it affected your neighbors, like cockroaches in an apartment building. Yeah, or so moles. I thought maybe, you know, if some one person would complain to another person about their rat, and this was common enough that it became common to reply, you tend to your own rat kill, and I'll tend to mine. That's my theory about it. Oh, it's, I like that. It's possible. I, I don't find any re- evidence for that in the historical record, but I should say that most of the uses of this expression are, are, are all used in almost exactly the same way with very little context. It's clear from the fiction and the nonfiction that I find that it's, it's a thing to say, that they're quite aware that what is coming out of their mouth is a bit funny or a bit ironic. The people <laughs> almost always use it in a knowing way. Yeah. But it's, it's so delightful. Well, though, it's so delightful to hear it come from your family. Is something that you used in the house and from somebody who clearly meant it. She wanted you to. I mean, she didn't want you to actually kill rats. She wanted you to stop bothering your sisters. Hey, thanks, Harold. Harold, thanks for calling today. Thanks much. Enjoy it. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. All right. Well, what were the weird expressions you heard growing up? Call us, 1-877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime. The number's 1-877-929-9673. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. You can also stay in touch with us all week by following us on Twitter. We're there under the username Wayward. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. Away With Words is independently produced. To find out how you can get more involved with our show, go to waywardradio.org slash membership. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Grant Barrett along with Martha Barnett. Happy trails. Later, dude. You say either and I say either. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. Hey, podcast listener. We hope you're enjoying our show. I just wanted to mention that Away With Words is independently produced, and that means that we depend on your support. Help us keep bringing you the show by going online to waywardradio.org. Make a donation in any amount. It all adds up. That's waywardradio.org. And thanks. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.